0: All right, well, if you uh, would grab your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, these letters that Paul wrote to Timothy and to Titus are some incredibly deep and powerful letters. Um, and just if you, I find myself just continuing to come back to them, especially uh, on this break that we're on. You know, just some refreshers, some... This is what to focus on. This is what to, to, to dive into. And, uh, and so there's been some sections uh, in 1st in and 2nd Timothy. Uh, again, we're in 1st Timothy chapter 4. Uh, some sections in here that just have really jumped out to me over the last couple of months. Uh, some quick background on these letters, uh, on, on this letter especially. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to Timothy uh, after leaving um, and, and placing Timothy here in Ephesus uh, as the pastor, the head elder. Uh, Paul did that um, because he cared for the church. Uh, the, a quick timeline of the church of Ephesus. Uh, the church was founded by Paul, likely in the early 50s AD. Uh, Timothy arrived to be their pastor in the early 60s. So the church was about 10 years old. Um, tradition holds that the Apostle John made the Ephesian Church his home uh, in the mid to late 60s. Uh, so we see that as Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians, um, the the church in Ephesus, he wrote wrote his letter to the Ephesians, uh, likely right before Timothy arrived. Uh, and then, so he wrote Ephesians to the church. Timothy gets there; he's dealing with some stuff in the church. Um, and, and so Paul writes these letters uh, to Timothy to, to try to help them through a, a, and fix some of the issues that were going on in the church. We see that that church had a pretty standout group of teachers and, and, and pastors and influences in, the, in a short amount of time. In, in less than 20 years, Paul started the church. Timothy pastored the church. The disciple whom Jesus loved, the Apostle John was a main influence in that church. Uh, And yet, by the mid-90s, at the latest, uh, depends on some people think it's even earlier, Jesus tells them, relayed through John, that while they did good works, while they had the right actions, and even right doctrine, that that church no longer had a love for Christ. And they were told to repent in Revelation 2. Now, Paul wrote to Timothy in order to encourage Timothy, to build him up, to challenge him, to to help him to keep uh, the the race, to, to keep the faith, to continue to do what is best for the church. Timothy was placed in Ephesus to deal with the issues that the church was dealing with. And most notably, but not limited to false teaching and false teachers who were there in the church. One of the ways... Timothy would be counteracting those issues is by knowing and applying how to act, knowing the truth and applying that truth in the local church. Uh, I preached through 1st and 2nd Timothy, one of my first uh, sermon series is at my my last church, and I titled it Life in the Local Church, because if you go through that uh, these letters, it, it really gives a blueprint for what we as a body, we as a, as a church should be looking to, to do, to know, to act. Um, Paul had already in this letter to Timothy in the first couple of, of chapters, he had dealt with proper prayer, with worship, with church offices and those who were in authority to hold leadership positions uh, and, and a lot more as well. And Paul, Paul turns his attention to encouraging Timothy, Timothy to teach him. To encourage him, to remind him that, that this is the focus. And the focus should be on building and training and growing ourselves first as a good servant of Christ. So go ahead, we'll read this, this week's text, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4. I'll be reading verses 6 through 16. Uh, I will again be reading out of the English Standard Version. important part is that you have a Bible in front of you following along in your preferred translation. Uh, So first Timothy four, six through 16, Paul writes. Now, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially to those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy when the Council of Elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. May God bless the reading of his word. Now, we know that the Bible is a unique book. It's different than any other book that's ever been written. Paul is very specifically writing to Timothy in this, this letter. But we also know that Timothy's not the only person being written to and being instructed here. Like ripples that emanate when you throw a rock in a pond, the, the ripples going out. There, there are so many different people groups that Paul's letter is, is being spoken to, is being used to teach and encourage. We say we see Timothy first and foremost. Paul wrote this to Timothy. Here's what I am telling you. We see also this is in a group of, of Letters in the, in the New Testament called the pastoral epistles, letters to pastors, elders, church leaders, being taught through this letter how to lead God's people. Thirdly, not least by any stretch, as with all the Bible, all God's people are being instructed on life in the local church, on what that looks like, on, on what we are to know, to do, to act. Paul starts here. He says, put these things before the brothers. These things being the culmination of everything that he's taught, everything that he's looked at, everything he's told Timothy in these first four chapters. Bring all these things and set them before the brethren, the brothers and sisters, the church, uh, the body of Christ. Paul's essentially telling Timothy, do the things that I am teaching you, and you will serve the Lord well. Paul tells Timothy, It says, be trained in the words of the faith. Paul gets more into what that means to Timothy, specifically in the second letter to Timothy. But for here, one of the biggest points we take away this morning from from this passage, read your Bible. Read your Bible. Be trained in what the Bible says. Above all else, above whoever else you are allowing to teach you. Above Pastor Ed, above me, above anybody you listen to or read. Above everything, read your Bible and then read it again and then again and continue to read it, continue to be trained by it, continue to soak in the words of God that are in the Bible and then put them into action. We know that to put the Bible into action correctly, we need to read it in its proper context. Paul emphasizes this when he says that not only are we to be trained in the words of faith, but in good doctrine as well. Doctrine does not save our our different denominations, don't save our different things that that we can disagree on uh, or, or see different views on, don't save us. But the gospel saves us and the gospel affects our doctrine. And so it is important that we have a right understanding of the word of God. Context is everything, and if our heart is truly God's, then we should have a driving desire and a need to get his word right. None of the words of God are accidental. None of the words of God are incidental. He gave us these words, these very specific words for very specific reasons. His words mean one thing, one thing only. And in order to know that one thing, we must study his word and we must be trained by it. In order to act on it, we must be trained by it fully and completely and continually. And we need to remember what we see. One of the lessons that we see in this is that when we remove ourselves from the word, when you remove yourself from good and sound doctrine, when you remove yourselves from those who would help build you up and keep you accountable to the Bible, you will struggle. You will trip over this world's Views, you will trip over false teachers' views. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, bad company ruins good morals. We cannot stand on our own. What is and who are around us will influence us. What we watch, what we listen to, what we read, who we spend time with, all these things influence us, whether we think they do or not, whether we recognize it or not. The enemy and false teachers, they want to separate us and isolate us from God, from his word and from his people. It's why the Bible is so clear, the importance of gathering together continually as the people, as the body of Christ, as the local church. Isolation is a weapon of the enemy. As I was reading through this, preparing this week, I also... I read Psalm 1. I've read that Psalm, I don't know how many times over my, my Christian life. It was when I first started going to church, uh, one of the gentlemen that uh, came and tried to help disciple me, uh, this was, he said, start Psalm 1, memorize Psalm 1. I'm terrible at memorizing, so I haven't actually got it memorized even yet. But it, it laid the foundation for me to continue to recognize every time I read it how important this Psalm is. And as I was reading it, it jumped out the parallels with what we're talking about here today and what take place in Psalm 1. I'm going to read it real quick. It's a short one. Uh, But the psalmist writes, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, there's many sermons we could get into just on... So, I'm one alone. But in how it relates to what we're looking at today, we see that those who are righteous, those who belong to the Lord, who are in Christ Jesus, they are like trees planted next to streams. Of course, we will see fruit that comes to bear with those trees. But what else we see is that those trees are planted, that the trees that are planted, us as we are growing in Christ, as we come to know Christ, we need a steady stream. And we need to be planted in a single location. If I, if I plant a tree up by my house, and then after a short time, I don't see any growth. I don't see any progress. I dig it up and I move it to somewhere else. And I continue to do that after a while. Don't see any progress, dig it up, put it somewhere else. Trying to find the right spot. It's not going to work. The tree is going to die. It's going to wither. Same as if the water source, even if I leave it in one place, but there's no water source. That tree is not going to grow. It's not going to live. It's not going to, it's going to wither. It's going to die. We, we saw that every summer back in, in where we were in California. And I imagine here as well. For no water for an extended period of time and the tree's going to die. We keep moving it around. Even if there is water, it's going to die. We need the word of God, a steady stream of God's word to teach us truth, good doctrine, and right application. We need each other to help us stay on track, to grow, to have right knowledge and right application. We see this as so important to the life of a believer, to the growth of a believer, to the health, spiritual health of a believer. God's Word, steady stream of God's Word, planted in a local church, being taught, being fed. Having each other with to help us to know, to grow, to, to learn, to live. So important. And Paul reminds us uh, here in his letter to 1 Timothy, uh, have, he mentioned this in the beginning of chapter 1 as well, but he reminds us have nothing to do with silly, irreverent, irrelevant myths. Now this includes getting into conversations that are just ridiculous stuff. Conversations don't even need to be wrong. We don't have to be wrong on what we're saying. But where is our focus? Supposed genealogies and ancestry and descendants of Jesus that don't actually exist. This is making, you know, things like making parables out of the gospel stories, putting any credence into the so-called lost gospels, any secret knowledge. That's a heresy that was being fought in the New Testament times, secret knowledge. The, the idea is that we come, and I know you guys have had this experience. You have a conversation with somebody, and they say something, and you just have to stop. Because what they said is so absurd, so out of the realm of possibility, that there isn't really anything you can respond with. You just have to let it go and, and move on, whether it's move on in the conversation or move on to a different person in conversation. They just they make that statement, you're just like <laughs> <laughs> that's what Paul is talking about. That's one of one of the things he's talking about here. Don't dive into those conversations. Don't get trapped. Don't get grabbed into those conversations. If you respond and you get into that, you will have wasted your time and nothing you say will have an effect. It's similar to casting your pearls before swine, although that's specifically talking about the gospel. But these silly, irreverent myths, they're spiritually immature. They take the focus off of God the Father. They take the focus off His Son, Jesus Christ. Take the focus off the Word of God itself. Again, not all of these conversations, not all of these things might be wrong in and of themselves. But if they're taking the focus off of God and His Word and His Son, then they're a waste. Everything, everything else, trivia, minutiae, unknowable speculation, other the other person, ourselves. If our focus is on ourselves, our focus is not on God. If our focus is on anything else, it's not on God. And so Paul says: instead of getting bogged down in all of that, train ourselves in godliness. Training means that we have to practice. We have to make it habit. It's work. The habits that we develop, the spiritual disciplines that we practice, these are the things that train us in godliness. And it's not easy. Bad things will come distractions, laziness, good things that are not God will come. Friends, family, sleep, phone calls, our favorite show, all these things. Good and bad will try to get us off of practicing our spiritual disciplines. All of these things will come and they will attempt to stop us from practicing and training and spending the needed and necessary time in God's word. Paul talks about this training and he contrasts it with bodily training, taking care of ourselves physically. This is a good thing. Uh, Watching what we eat, keeping in shape, doing these things. Uh, taking care of the bodies that God has given us, being a good steward to ourselves. Those are very good things. They're incredibly important. They're part of what helps us to train in godliness. They have value, but they're not as as important as the spiritual training. Spiritual training which leads to godliness is everything. It's completely valuable. It is eternally valuable. It has promise and value in this life for sure, but more importantly... It has more promise and value in the next life. Now, and Paul really wants to truly emphasize a point as he does here in verse nine. He says some variation of this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. So we need to to pay extra attention to what he says here. Verse, uh, Verse 10, he says, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially to those who believe. We work. We train ourselves in godliness. We do these things. We avoid those irreverent, silly myths. We, we set out these things before us. We plant ourselves by the stream. We, we take uh, part in the local church. We do all these things because of our hope and our faith. We work because of what God has done for us. We work because of the living God, Jesus Christ. We work because of what he did on the cross, accomplishing our salvation, raising from the dead, and once and for all, defeating death and sin. We do those things because he did those. The invitation to salvation, sent out to all, extended to all. Paul writes elsewhere, there's no Greek nor Jew, no if male or female, when it comes to who is able to be saved and when it comes to where our standing is before God. And it is those who believe that accept the invitation. And they believe by the grace of God, only through the faith that he has given us and the only way to salvation, his son, Jesus Christ. And that is how we are saved. And it is because we are saved that we work. It's not that we work for being saved, but because we are saved. And I know if you if you listen to me more, or if you whatever you know, that's something I harp on each and every week because sometimes those small semantic differences can make all the difference. We get that mixed up even by accident, and we get way off track. Scripture shows us this time and time again. It is because of Jesus' work on the cross. Because of our salvation that we work. We don't work for it. We don't work to keep it. We don't work because that's how we are worthy of it. We work because he first loved us. Now, verse 11, Paul tells Timothy, command and teach these things. These things that I just shared and reminded you, first and foremost, of course, the gospel that he just shared, Teach and share the gospel. Teach and share spiritual disciplines. Teach and share the importance of godliness. Teach the focus that needs to be on God and his word above all else. When you get up and you want to teach somebody, when you want to disciple somebody, when you want to share with somebody, command and teach these things. When Paul starts this last section of our passage as an encouragement and a challenge, especially to Timothy. Now, Timothy is a timid man, maybe shy. He's quiet. It's a personality that God gave him. Timothy speaks to me in that way. That's, I see a lot of myself in that as well. Uh, God gives us our personalities and, and he uses them for his purposes. We'll come back around to that in a minute. But Paul addresses one of the obstacles that that Timothy is dealing with in Ephesus. He says, let no one look down upon you. Let no one reject you. Let no one not listen to you because of your age. Age isn't or shouldn't be an issue. What is an issue is your call, your qualifications, your godliness. Stick to the word. I've, I've looked around in each of the churches I've served and in every, every church that I've served, I am by far, next to my wife, the youngest adult in that church. Uh, I was the youngest adult in my previous church um, and, and the first church we were at. And without getting into it, we see two different ways that people respond. Uh, at my, my last one uh, that I served at, uh, I taught and served people who have been Christians longer than I've been alive. Uh, but they, wouldn't, they never brought that up. That was not an issue. They didn't use that as a reason to not listen to me or to reject what I was saying or teaching. At the church I was at before, many of them did bring that up often. Uh, they tried to do it in a way that wasn't obviously rejecting what I was sharing. They weren't trying to obviously say, I don't have to listen to you. But that's what it boiled down to. And that was one of the reasons that they gave. Timothy was encountering this in the church of Ephesus. The truth that Paul is sharing with Timothy. Truth that that he shared with me that helped me get through some of that time. Is that God has called pastors specifically, personally, and to a very specific location at a very specific time. He has called me to be a pastor, a shepherd, a teacher, and a protector of the flock. He called Timothy to be the same in Ephesus. Age is not an issue with those who God chooses to call to a certain position. The, the point is that God is the one who chooses who to call. Now, also, I mentioned our personalities before, and I want to touch on, on that now. God has created each and every one of us personally and with our unique traits and personalities. Some of us are louder. Some of us are quieter. Some of us are more outgoing. Some of them, again, quiet, more cautious. Some are impulsive. Some are planners. Usually they marry each other. I don't know if you guys have noticed that, but Uh, Each of those personalities is given to us by God, the Father himself. And so each of those personalities is a gift and are good things. But each of those also has the potential for a pitfall. The person who is quiet and timid might avoid confronting sin in others or avoid confronting false teachers. Uh, Their false teachings might be uh, nervous about sharing the gospel or evangelizing. Person who is louder and outgoing uh, might offend They might confront sin where there isn't any. Uh, They might put themselves uh, and their thoughts, their teachings above God's. Uh, The point that Paul is making was was to Timothy, to me, to you, to to all of us is don't use your personality as an excuse for sin. It's way too easy. It it takes an incredible amount of of self-reflection and it takes walking a very thin line sometimes to prevent that. Because uh, it's way too easy to do that. But do not let your personality be an excuse to sin. Let that personality be used by God as the gift that it was intended to be. We're called to deny ourselves. How often do you hear as an excuse for, for sin, well, I was born that way. Or I had somebody in one of my previous churches, I'm too old to change now. No. Yes, in a sense, we were all born this way, we were all born sinners. But we are called to put that old self aside and to repent of our sins. Paul tells us elsewhere that when we are in Christ, our old self has died and we are now new creations. We have a new heart. We have new desires. We have a new nature when we are in Christ. We are not to stay the way we were born, but instead we are called to be born again. So Paul says to set the believers an example. Set an example of godly living how we live and how we act, our faithfulness to God. These are but some of the ways that we can show those around us and those who watch us, the work that God has done for all of us and what he expects in holiness and godliness. In verse 13, we see again Paul's exhortation to Timothy, the purpose of the local church. We see the reason that Paul, and more specifically God, placed Timothy in Ephesus. That is to combat false teaching. Uh, and we see how Paul lays it out by the public reading of Scripture, by exhortation and by teaching. Especially and specifically the teaching of that public reading of Scripture. Uh, this even goes back to Old Testament times. Nehemiah 8.8 8 says they read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading." It's one of the things I appreciate uh, here and, and I've done with all my sermons is, is every word in the passage that I am preaching on. I, 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 Pastor Ed does the same thing. Read the words of God that we are preaching on. Because it is the word of God is not our preaching, it is not our teaching that does It is the word of God that does it. And so I, one of my first sermon series I went through at my first church was Genesis. And I, did, I, I didn't want to get bogged down too Too deep. I didn't want it to take five years to get through Genesis. So I figured I'm going to do roughly a chapter a week. That's a lot to pack into a week. It's a lot of reading to get through and read out loud the whole chapter each week. And I tried to figure out different ways that, well, I could print it out each week and hand it out. Or I could do different things that kept coming back to the call was for the public reading of scripture. The passage I was preaching on would be read out loud in service so that there was no excuse. There was no one that could get away from hearing the word of God. Paul, in verse 14, Paul points out that Timothy was given a spiritual gift from God. This is an unknown gift, though presumably teaching or preaching. Something for, for sure along the lines of pastoring in Ephesus uh, to combat false teachings. And in verse 15 and 16, Paul emphasizes self-inspection and spiritual growth. He says, practice your gifts. Do your duties, whether they are your gifts or not. Some things that we have to do that we're not gifted at. We still have to do them. Do your duties, whether they're your gifts or not. Practice and grow your devotion to God and what he has called you to. And practice your gifts. And as the fruit on your tree grows, the spiritual fruit, as you develop your spiritual disciplines, as we grow in sanctification and maturity in Christ, people will see and they will notice. Lastly, in verse 16, Paul tells Timothy to keep a close watch on himself and his teachings. We say it this way. It does no good for us to call out false teaching if we just replace it with other different false teachings. The point is to replace false teachings with the truth, with the word of God. So keeping a close watch on ourselves and our teachings uh, is what will keep us from falling into false teaching and becoming false teachers. Single easiest way for one to start uh, teaching false things is to stop paying too close attention to what you are teaching. This will often happen without noticing I'm not going to spend as much time in sermon prep this week because I've got other stuff going on. I'm not going to spend as much time in my morning devotions uh, because, man, I'm tired or I have to get up and get going or whatever. Uh, and, and just all these different things kind of mentally shifting into cruise control. I already know what it says. I've read this time and time again. I'm just going to gloss over it and move on. This will have the thoughts of, of thinking we know it all, that we have no need to study God's word. There's no need to get deeper into it. We don't need to be around other believers and talk about the things of God to to continue to grow ourselves. So by keeping a close watch on ourselves and our teachings, we will not only prevent ourselves from falling and failing, but because of the community we are called to, because of the, the body of the local church, we will help others from falling into these false teachings as well. They will help us from falling into these as well. Thereby saving them from, to use a different different section of of Paul's letter, walking out from under the umbrella of orthodoxy, which is the right understanding of what God's word means, walking out from under that umbrella, that shelter, and into the reign of heresy. That's what we are trying to prevent here. We are trying to hold that umbrella over those around us. And God is holding that umbrella over us, and it is up to us to stay under that umbrella, under his word, so that we don't walk out into the rain of false teaching and uh, false teachers. So I think there, there really are three points I want you to walk away from this morning remembering. The first, we said at the beginning, remember, read your Bible again and again and again and again, continually and always. Read your Bible. Make sure that you are desiring and focusing on the right and true Word of God and right doctrine and how to apply it. Second, use your personality. It is a gift from God. Use that personality as a gift to do the things of God. Don't let it be an excuse to sin. Let it share and show the Word of God Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. And lastly, keep a close watch on yourself. Keep a close watch on your your views, your teachings, what you're sharing. Uh, Recognize and combat false teachings. Make sure that you are keeping yourself in the truth. That you are speaking truth, no matter what. These things are the basis and the foundation for us building up the local church. And for us and the church to fulfill its purpose in Christ. Let us pray on these things and remember the grace of God that we are saved despite all that is stacked against us because of sin. Uh, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these letters by Paul sharing this encouragement, this challenge, these reminders that your word, God, is true and holy. Our words are not. But if we can keep in your word Our words will reflect your words. Our thoughts will reflect your thoughts. Our deeds will reflect your deeds. Help us to be that reflection of you, to stay steady in your word, to be loving to those around us, to use the gifts that you have given us, our personalities and our spiritual gifts, and to stay focused on making sure that yours is the only word that's influencing us. Thank you for all these things. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.